0: Draft day is the nothing personal word of the day for Thursday, April 28th, 2022. This is it, folks. According to CBS, this is the greatest day in the football calendar. The NFL draft, they start doing mock drafts. They're doing a mock draft for the 2023 draft already. I believe that CBS goes to nursery schools and takes a look and scouts and then has its people do mock drafts for the year 2069. I get it. Draft day in baseball was never that exciting, though, because we'd have to talk to the owner every single time. you have to look at tape, maybe go look at a player, and then say, hey, we got to give this guy a couple million dollars, and he's probably not going to make it, and if he does make it, it's going to be four years, five years. How can that be exciting? But baseball always has such a complete, complex over the nfl draft because the world like stops spinning the moon comes over the north pole and quickly disappears and reappears over a 30 second period when the nfl draft is starting and mlb tries a bunch of stuff and roger goodell is going to hug people so rob manford tries to get players to come and do some hugging and some announcing jacksonville is on the clock like it's the biggest deal in the world like we're solving world peace or something middle east peace is going to happen because doug peterson and the jaguars are going to choose somebody and everyone's keeping track are they going to get their mock draft right are the packers going to draft a wide receiver finally and what about all the talking we did zero talking to our players about our draft not one time over one round ever hey Giancarlo. carlo I think we're gonna draft this, this guy from Stanford. Hey, we got a great high school out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. You're gonna like him. Yeah, you'll be retired by the time he's ready. But for whatever reason, there's so much communication that goes on between front offices and existing players over the NFL draft. I noticed that David Tepper, he of the half-built training facility, has gotten quite a bit of attention for several reasons. I mean, the Carolina Panthers don't deserve much attention, especially on a nothing personal day of the draft. But just what caught my ear and eye and nose and throat, other than complete and utter exhaustion and sickness, is that David Tepper had to make an excuse already for his coach before the draft. And the GM of the Panthers had to talk to their existing quarterback, that Jets guy named uh, Sam Darnold, and say, hey, we may draft a quarterback. If you're a player and Your GM calls you and says, hey, just so you know, I think we're drafting a replacement. Are you cool? What what, what do you do if you're a player? Do you go the other way with the Packers where they don't tell Aaron Rodgers they're drafting Jordan Love and then they've got the whole problem with Aaron Rodgers despondent talking to Yoko Ono about whether or not he should play in Green Bay or not? So now owners are saying, you know what? Let's not take any chances. Let's let our superstar quarterback know that we are going to potentially draft a player in his position, which works fine, except Sam Darnold's not a superstar. Sam Darnold is nothing. He's a utility quarterback at best. Mediocre with a capital M. What has he done to deserve that information? I just can't quite figure that out. So if you are the Panthers... You must have a lot of time in your day, maybe because you're not building your practice facility at all. So you have all this time to speak to your players and figure out what you can do in the draft. But then David Tepper met the media, and now he's totally screwed. He told the media that he's in a five-year plan with his coach, Matt Rule, who's entering his third year. He's won like 10 total games in the first two years of his coaching career. But Tepper, the owner, is preaching patience, which is what we all do when our team is losing. Hey, hang in there. I know I don't, Derek Jeter was really good at this. Hey, we're gonna need patience and you know I'm not a patient guy. We're gonna need a lot of patience. Do fans really wanna know about that? Do you like, this is a question I'd like you to think about with your NFL team as the draft is happening. Everyone gets so emotional. Oh, they boo when the wrong player is chosen or when when Roger Goodell gets up there and announces a pick and you wanted this person, you wanted a defensive lineman and you got an offensive tackle or you wanted a wide receiver and you got a quarterback. And everyone takes it so personally. Like, oh my God, this team doesn't know what it's doing. These scouts and GMs are total idiots, schnooks. Here's a news alert, folks. They know what they're doing. It doesn't mean they're always gonna get it right. But the lines that they're feeding to you about patience and we, we believe in our system, that's what you always say also, don't forget that. that. that That's the Sixers trusting the process. We've gotta build our foundation. We've gotta trust this process. Believe in us. Well, do you? And if you don't, why not? Because of the player who's chosen today? So you're going to watch the draft like everybody else. Millions of people are going to watch the draft. And then your player's going to get chosen. Your team's going to choose a player. And you're going to be just DBR? I don't know. Do you know what's going on inside the front office on draft day? It's pretty good. So you do a board. And I think we've talked about on a mailbag episode what a draft board is like. We would list our players. In baseball, you don't draft by position you draft best available. Some teams will tell you they draft position. Oh, we're looking for pitching this year. We're going to draft all pitchers. I like that. We're going to draft all college pitchers. There's a bunch of baseball teams who've said that. That's really an owner saying to the scouting department and the development department, hey, we need help now. I'm not going to be around. I'm not even buying green bananas. We got to get people to the big leagues as quickly as possible. We had an opportunity to draft college players who in theory get to the big leagues faster, except they have smaller upside than high school players. And if you are gonna be good with a low payroll, you need high upside, high impact players who aren't gonna make a lot of money for the first three years they're on your team, but they're gonna perform at a high level. So in the front office on draft day, you, you have your list and you work on your list. Oh God, Coca. side story. We were so crazy about security. MLB wanted to be like the NFL. They wanted to put cameras in the draft room. And all the GMs fought it. Because not that they didn't want to be on TV or they thought they weren't good looking enough or they'd have to use concealer or or anything like that. They were concerned that other teams would watch their team inside the draft room and somehow glean who they're drafting. Like they're protecting the formula for Coke. A cola but mlb demanded it so we put cameras in the draft room but we would put them in a way where the board wouldn't be seen because it's very serious the way we would do it is if you're in our draft room he- heading into draft day you weren't allowed to leave it was like a murder spy mystery death on the nile type of thing with kenneth branagh and gail godot etc and army arm and hammer where I didn't review that movie. I just watched it. I don't think I can review it. It was so bad. But anyway, they're all stuck on this boat on the Nile while they try to solve a crime because people are dying. If you are allowed into the draft room, and we would use that as a bonus to younger people in the baseball department, we'd say, hey, would you like to be in the draft room this year? And they would take that as like this great thing, great accomplishment, and I'd always smile because what it meant is we're not going to give you a big raise, we're not going to change your title, but we're going to throw you the bone, get in the draft room, and, and the young kids are like, oh, that's amazing, I'm in the room where it happens, I love it. So you set up the chairs in the draft team, you've got your senior people in the inner circle, then you've got people in the outer circle who are observing, who only spoke when spoken to. You've got certain people assigned to bring food into the room. You've got the windows covered. Our baseball department made our our stadium operations department black out the windows so people couldn't look in and see our draft board. Looking back on it, it makes me smile. It really does. Oh, my God. we're It happened with Jose because we thought we were being all secretive by wanting Jose, that we pretended we didn't want him, so we didn't really go see him much during the year. And when we went, we sort of stood in the shadows and behind cars, kneeling down like you're trying to smoke a spleef or something, trying not to be seen. You don't want the other teams, hey, who are you looking at? Because it's like a sewing circle. Everyone wants to be a copycat. Oh, you're looking, at, you're looking at Jose? Yeah, we're looking at him too. I would always get the report from the, the player development people and the scouting people saying, here's the 10 guys we're looking at, but only six of them we've seen multiple times. The other four we love, but we're being very quiet. We're not telling anyone. But I've got a player here at this high school in California, and we're telling the teams above us that we want that player, because then we hope the teams above us will take that player and then the player we really want will be there when it's our turn. All of these back and forth shenanigans are going on in these front offices. People's jobs are at stake, they think, even though they're not. I guess they are later on down the road, right? I've never heard a GM get fired, Coca. of you in the NFL for having a bad draft. Is that why GMs get fired? I always thought you fire a GM when their regular season record stinks like at the big league level. I don't think if you draft, who drafted Tony Mandich? Remember that draft? The worst number one overall? He was supposed to be the best and he didn't pan out. I don't remember who drafted him, but I do wonder whether that person got fired. So inside the draft room, everyone's excited. They're waiting for it to start, and they have a list in order of who they want. And then As the teams go ahead of you and players are taken on the top of your list, you cross them out. It used to be we had a whiteboard where we'd write the names and then just cross them out. Then things got really advanced and we'd put the names typewritten and we would laminate them and put them on a magnetic board. And then we'd have categories. Unsignable, multi-sport. Unsignable is when they have Boras as an agent or somebody else and they want $10 million or they're going to go to college. Unsignable, just means that we don't think we can sign them. So why would we ever take them? And then we have a category of players, uh, two sport athletes, where they can threaten they're going to play football instead of baseball. We've got that category. Then we've got where the high school players have committed to go to college. And then we look into the demographic of that player and say, hey, does that player need money? Now that there's NILs, by the way, That would change the equation because now these high schools could, in theory, get money to play college baseball. But back then, if you play college baseball, you're not making money at least over the table. Not even much under the table because who the hell watches college baseball, for crying out loud? So all these different categories, and then every player who's eligible to be drafted gets a number assigned to them, which always gave me sort of a weird feeling that we would assign. Player number 4926846 from Chadsworth High School in California and then there's a spreadsheet and then the commissioner's office calls out the name it's all such a bizarre thing what we're doing is we're auctioning off human beings think about that i used to think about that a lot with what the draft was like we are owning you now you're ours for six years just because we want you on our team now if you stink we may release you but then your career's done anyway maybe that's what led to all the player empowerment coca maybe it did well get ready there's a bunch of things happening today we may talk about it tomorrow we may not maybe there'll be some draft day deals but I think all the deals already happened we're gonna watch to see what the Panthers do see if they do get another quarterback see if a quarterback falls all the way to like 19 is what they're saying like it's big news breaking news on SportsCenter quarterback may not go till pick 19 blah 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 so coaches have a lot of pressure Those who are in charge of personnel also, they work with the GM, the coach GM, trying to figure out how to do better. Someone asked me a question, Coca, and we're answering it because it's a good one. You know what I want? (laughs) I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Yes, you're right. It's from the movie Half-Baked. There's a character named Samson. Get into Twitter at David P. Samson. I don't care if you're conservative or liberal. I don't care if Elon Musk owns it or doesn't own it. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, everywhere else, and ask questions at David P. Samson. Here's the question. Wow, there's no Hello David in this one. I can't believe we chose this one for today. I like Hello Davids in the question. Hello. Although that's not in the question. If you were Daryl Morey, what would be your reaction to Doc Rivers' comments today? Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Because I know exactly what you're talking about. And if you're listening to this and you don't know what I'm talking about, let me explain. And I'm not gonna take my time because it's really good. Doc Rivers was an accomplished player, played on my beloved Knicks. Could have won a title with him, but didn't. Been a very successful coach. Has a championship with the Leprechauns. Coached Orlando and now is the Balmer coach in Los Angeles, and then moved on to the Sixers. I mean, we're talking about a major coach. One of the things about Doc Rivers is that in the playoffs, his teams go out to a lead in the four to seven series. They're up 3-1, and he's the coach who's blown a 3-1 lead the most of any coach in history. Now the Sixers had a 3-0 lead to the Raptors. Then it was 3-1. Now it's 3-2. So people went up to Doc Rivers and his media availability and said, hey, just out of curiosity, is this a you thing? Are you concerned about your Sixers not making it out of the first round? And are you possibly concerned that Stephen A. Smith is right and that your players have given up because they want you to lose so they can fire you? so you can be fired can you believe Steven Smith said that you think James Harden for one second is throwing the series against the Raptors so Doc Rivers gets fired and coach Mike D'Antoni gets to take over because if I am the owner of the Sixers and I get wind of that I'm getting rid of Harden so fast your head would spin that's how fast because what players fail to realize because they're so stubborn and so delusional, you don't get chances to win a ring every year. When you have a chance to win it, you go after it. You wouldn't gonna waste another year of Joel Embiid? So Doc Rivers gets interviewed and he says the following. Getting all defensive. It's easy to use me as an example, but I wish y'all would tell the whole story with me, all right? My Orlando team in 2003 when they blew a 3-1 lead was the eighth seed. No one gives me credit for getting up against the Pistons who won the title. That was an eighth seed. Go back and look at that roster. I dare you, he said. He actually said that to the writers. I dare you to go back and look at that roster. And you would say, what a hell of a coaching job. Hey, Doc, I got a little nugget for you. Just in case you don't have a PR person. I'm happy to be helpful. But here's what you don't say as a coach. Man we won more games than we should because those players sucked jack mckeon had a great line when we would tell him we want to win the world series and he would look at us right in the face me and larry and and mike and say how do you expect me to win the kentucky derby with a bunch of donkeys (laughs) i would say jack come on are they that bad Jack, if you're listening to this, and I know you are, do you remember when we called up a player? I don't have the player, Coco, because this just came into my head. Jack McKeon did something so awful to us. We called up a player who he did not want us to call up. He said that player is not ready. But we needed him because we wanted to make a move in the bullpen. So we brought up this player, and this player was put into a bases-loaded situation in the late inning games trying to protect a lead for his first appearance, totally gave it up. And then we ended up like sending him down, and that was the end of his career. He was so misused, and Jack was like, hey, he's on the roster. You don't expect me to use him? So Doc Rivers going through a whole song and dance about how bad his roster was, and that's why they blew a 3-1 lead. That's pretty good. And then he reminded you that the Clipper team in 2015 that he had, don't forget we had Chris Paul, who's now in the Suns and still doing great, seven years later. Chris Paul didn't play those first two games. And then when he did, he was on one leg. And we didn't have home court. And then he said, and the last one, we were in the bubble. And anything can happen in the bubble. So he's going through all this. And I believe that there were people around listening who got in his ear and said, hey, Doc, um, you better change the tone a little bit. And you better take a little, uh, take, take a moment here and acknowledge that you have a role in this. You can't just throw your players under the bus like that. So he said, you know, I got to do better always. I always take my own responsibility. (laughs) Can you imagine if the Raptors become the first team in the history of the NBA playoffs to come back from an 0-3 deficit? And it's Doc Rivers coaching, and then Doc Rivers does get fired, and then James Harden arranges it so Mike D'Antoni becomes the new coach of the Sixers? If that happens, I'm not even giving it away to see. I'd like to tell you I'll eat my sweat scarf. If you're not watching this on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel, I ask why. Just go to your phone, go to YouTube, sign in, and subscribe, and then you can see a couple things about today. So we're going to have a little contest. Anything interesting about today's show, you'll only know if you come watch. Come check out the video portion of today's show and tell me what's different today than any other of our previous 586 shows. If you get it, I'm gonna give you a prize. So if I'm Daryl Morey and I hear what Doc Rivers is doing, I'm not saying a word to him. We're in the middle of a playoff series. I don't wanna distract him, but I am taking great note. And I'm speaking to our owner because I don't want the owner to read this, Josh Harrison, David Blitzer, even though they're totally, totally distracted by trying to buy Chelsea and all the other things they're trying to buy. But I would absolutely make sure that the owner was aware that we've got a problem with the coach. That it's almost like the coach is preparing the media for the Sixers to lose to the Raptors. And I've just got to get ahead of that story. That's my job as team president, right? You've got to get ahead of that. So Daryl Morey is getting ahead of that. And he's going to speak to Doc, but only after the season. So at the end of the day, what will be fascinating to see in my mind is whether or not the owners in Philadelphia blame the coach if they blow their lead to the Raptors or if they don't make it out of the Eastern Conference, which brings me to a way to see that I want to give you because I believe that the owners of the Sixers have trusted their process enough and they believe this team should get out of the Eastern Conference. I don't think they're better than the Celtics. I don't think they're better than the Bucs. I don't think they're better than the Heat. Hmm. Interesting. How would they expect to get out of the East? I'm going to give you a wait to see when I say something's going to happen. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. But we're going to revisit it. Doc Rivers is getting fired if the Sixers do not make it to the conference finals. He doesn't have to win the conference finals, but he's got to win this round against Toronto. He's got to win the next round, the second round, the conference semifinals. He's got to get to the conference finals or Doc Rivers is going to get fired. Wait to see. All right, Coco, when we come back, we're gonna review a movie that I came across, I don't know how, on one of the streaming services. It's called Nitram. So please come back and listen to that review. And then we're gonna talk about something going on in Oakland and the behavior of a team president that I really have not seen before. And I've seen a lot of crazy stuff. We'll be right back.
1: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
0: Welcome back to nothing personal. It is a Thursday morning. It's David Sampson. Check out the YouTube feed right now if you want to win a prize and you have to get into my DMS and you have to tweet or do something to let me know what you see that's interesting and different about today's show thank you for rating reviewing subscribing telling your friends we've got a great thing going with you the audience all right here we go ready i have to have a serious talk and i know that this can bother coca sometimes when i get too serious about something but i'm going to do it because i've got the microphone and the worst he can do is unplug the 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 show right now but i don't think he's going to caleb laundry jones Caleb Landry Jones is an actor who is in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Interesting, interesting actor who took a role as the headliner, the star of a movie called Nitram. Nitram is Martin backwards. Martin is the name of a character, a true story, who in 1996 in Australia authored the greatest And most tragic mass shooting in that country's history and Ram is about that mass killing except not from the approach that you'd think the movie takes us inside his mind and it's not criminal minds it's not a documentary but it ends with the start of the shooting so the whole movie is about what led martin To be this what snapped did something snap was he born with this was it something an unbelievable performance by judy davis playing his mother by the way was it something that judy davis is a very accomplished actress really good in this is it something from his childhood is it something in the wiring of his brain is it a fact that anyone who commits mass killings is mentally ill and there's no two ways around it they're insane criminally insane After this shooting took place, where over 25 people were killed, Australia immediately changed its gun laws. They immediately made it harder for people to get guns. They basically in 12 days after this got gun control legislation passed. There's some misleading vignettes at the end of the movie that give some stats in Australia, but the bottom line is that they realize they don't want to live in a country where every day on the news, there's another mass shooting. Do you? I don't want to get into a second amendment fight with you all, I really don't. But I just want to ask you to at least ponder this. Do you believe that your freedom and your right to bear arms is impacted by background checks, by delays, by the elimination, of automatic weapons. I'm just I'm just asking you to think about it. What is it about these guns that you want? Because the problem is by you wanting them, it enables other people to have them who do these mass shootings in the US. We are a disgrace to the rest of the world. Do you know that? And I'm not going all Jeff Daniels in the first episode of the newsroom on you, but just in case you're wondering, the rest of the world, when you travel it, They look at the U.S. and our mass shootings and our situation with guns, and they laugh. They wonder, how can we be so incompetent? How can we be operating in a world where it's so easy for people to kill, to get guns both legally and illegally? How many does it take? My level of frustration has grown because I just feel like it's a matter of time. Every day there's a new one. It's a matter of time when it's at a mall I'm at or at a movie theater I'm at or at an uh, airport I'm at or something, right? Maybe I'll be lucky the rest of my life. Maybe I won't. Maybe you'll say the odds are, you have a better chance of, dying in an airplane crash than you do of being involved and being the victim in a mass shooting or witnessing a mass shooting. And then I go on Twitter and see another video of gunshots ringing out right near a Little League baseball game and kids running off the field and crawling off the field and panicking. And I ask you, is this what you want? Because I sure as hell don't. But watch Nightram First of all, for the great performance, and second of all, how about if it just gets you thinking? It's not, it is a very well-done movie. It is a very scary movie, not horror, but it's a very important movie. It's called Night Okay, one of the things we do is we make mistakes on Nothing Personal because we go 45 minutes straight, and Coca can't keep track of everything that's coming out of my mouth because he's got four screens open. He's yelling in my ear, he's Googling 25 things. He's trying to project what I'm gonna say next. And I gave a whole story yesterday, an entire story yesterday it may have been bizardo coca this is how we work oh my god can we do you want to stop tape right now do you want to go back to the to the story with jack mckeon and the player or do we want to just be real with our listeners coca and just tell them that it took you this number of minutes to figure out that it was jorman bizardo who it was Yorman bizardo was a marlins player we called up and jack was so furious oh my god i can't believe you had that what, what was the game that I'm talking about? Do you have his, like, game-by-game game or the first game? I can't remember. Oh. <laughs> he gave up five runs against the Mets. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. We were never allowed to lose to the Mets. People got fired, like we would say to Mike Redman, hey, you can't get swept by the Mets right now because Jeffrey's going to fire you because the Mets were a team that he always wanted to win because he lives in New York and we all lived in New York. Well, I lived in Florida, but we just didn't want to lose to the Mets. We can lose to any team, just don't lose to the Mets or you're going to get canned. So Jack put it bizarre to win against the Mets. He gave up five. Anyway, so Coca can't pay attention to everything. I was telling you a story about Field of Dreams, the movie yesterday, where Kevin Costner says to Moonlight Graham, Get ready for low and away, but you better watch out for in your ear. And somebody sent me a correction on Twitter. Thank you. It was Ray Liotta, Shoeless Joe Jackson, who was talking to Moonlight Graham on the bench about where the next pitch would be. Not Kevin Costner, who plays Ray Kinsella, who was watching the game with James Earl Jones, Terrence Mann, and Gabby Hoffman, who, by the way, the little girl who chokes on the hot dog, which causes Moonlight Graham to stop being a player and become a doctor again, the Burt Lancaster character. That little girl is the same girl who's in winning time running the Lakers for Jerry Buss. Her name's Gabby Hoffman. She was also in a movie we reviewed this year that I really liked, and I can't remember what it was. She played the mother of something, Coca. Anyway, thank you for that correction. Moving on. When you're the president of a team, I was not on Twitter when I was the president of a team because it was suggested to me that it may not work out well. Now, looking back, I would say my conciliary was right because I tend to be outspoken. I tend to say what's on my mind. I tend to say things that will get people thinking, that will let people just enough to get outside of their comfort zone. And when you're the team president in Major League Baseball, you got to be a little more buttoned up or you get a bad reputation, Joan Jett. I also made a mistake yesterday with Twisted Sister, as I'm reminded of song lyrics. We're not gonna take it. That's Twisted Sister, Coca. It's not Kiss. Though it was Paul Stanley's birthday yesterday. Wow, my brain is firing. No sleep last night. I got the booster yesterday, folks. So if I look tired to you, that doesn't win you the prize. Because I, I, I literally, now I don't like using the word literally, I did not sleep. I tur- tossed and turned until about 2:33 in the morning, and then I started going through my DMs. And I watched a movie so bad. I watched Moonshot last night, Coca, that new romantic comedy on HBO Max about two people going to Mars or the Moon or some other such crap. So bad, like a 3.2 out of 10. So anyway, team presidents have jobs to do. The president of the Oakland A's is a guy named David, my namesake smart man. Not because he's named David. He's just a good team president. The A's have been successful off the field, very successful, making the playoffs every year from 17 through 20. Last year, they did not. This year, they brought their team down, lowered their payroll. They go up and down the way we've always talked about. Their payroll goes up, their payroll goes down. The Oakland A's chose this year not to lie about their attendance, which I think was a huge tactical error. And so they're averaging about 7,000 people a game. And if I were talking to David directly, which I could be because he may be listening to the show. I would say, David, you're not going to get a new stadium in Vegas or in Oakland because of a low attendance in Oakland. Like that's not going to pressure people. We tried that in Miami. They try that in Tampa. You have to announce more than 7,000 people. You just have to. And the reason you have to is that you do not want your sponsors or your season ticket holders or your fans, wherever they may be, you don't want them to feel badly about being associated with losers. Like, wow, I don't wanna to go to a restaurant where I can get a table immediately. I wanna to have to wait a few minutes because it means I'm at the cool kids table, at the cool restaurant. That's why restaurants put up, they're always sold out on open table and then you go there and you're like, man, there's 20 tables here. But wow, it seems like, fake it till you make it, it seems like it's crowded. And exclusive. When you're announcing three, four, five, 7,000 people a game, it wears on your employees, it wears on your players, because players can look up and comment on the attendance, and we had that in Florida, and they'd say, oh man, there's no one here, we can't stand playing in front, it's so quiet, we can hear a pin drop, and I would say, just play the game, what's the difference? And they would say, you don't get it, We, we are, we're performers. And I'll say, there's hundreds of thousands of people watching this game on TV, perform for them. What's the difference? so this guy David the team president of the A's his A's are playing the San Francisco Giants and he sends a tweet that said it's sad how few fans are at the game he's talking about the game in San Francisco maybe the local media can look into the San Francisco Giants marketing ask some questions get to the bottom of what's going on wow little background here the Giants and the A's don't get along The Giants are the team that stopped the A's from moving to San Jose because the Giants claimed that San Jose was their territory. And the commissioner came down in favor of the Giants. And the reason the commissioner did, I don't know whether he made this public, but I'll make it public. I'll tell you exactly why Oakland lost that. Because the Giants, you may recall, were crap. They were drawing 4,000 people to Candlestick. Then they built AT&T Park, which is now which was Pac Bell, then 18 t now what is it, Coke? Is it Oracle? Can't keep track of the names of all these stadiums anymore. And now they draw tremendous amounts of people. They had that great sellout streak. They had 32,000 in this game. And they were a troubled franchise. And baseball didn't want the Giants to become a troubled franchise again because they are revenue sharing payors now. They are the success story going from a payee to a payor with their new stadium and with all of their increased revenue. And they argued to the commissioner that if you let the A's move to San Jose, we draw from San Jose, we have corporate sponsors from San Jose, we have fans, we have season ticket holders, we have revenue. And if that revenue goes to the Oakland A's, then we are going to suffer. And there's no guarantee that the A's are going to be such great shakes. And now instead of one team that's not suffering, one team that is, you are risking having two teams that are suffering. The concept is called schadenfreude. Happiness at the misfortune of others. If you run a sports team, you have schadenfreude. And the reason you do is that we're all normal. We're all competitive. You think that we don't all look at the attendance, what's announced, what's real. You don't think we're looking at the list of season ticket numbers that we get for every team. And we look at where teams are as it relates to us we're looking at not just the standings we're looking at the farm system we're looking at our own rankings we rank every farm system for no particular reason just to make ourselves feel better or worse about where we are everything is a competition with other teams everything and dave Caval, is it cavill i'm so bad with names i'm sorry dave he sends this tweet about the giants not giving you the historic background about why the a's and the giants don't get along what was his purpose this is what i thought about during the course of the night when i was reading like is he lost his mind is he is he just on the edge is he so worried about a stadium deal in oakland and all the lawsuits that are going on with the howard terminal site or is he worried that he doesn't have the right site in las vegas is he worried they can't get public money in las vegas is he worried about the future of his franchise where's he gonna move how's he gonna move can he move will he move should he move how quickly can they get out of oakland Alameda? coliseum he's got a lot of stuff on his mind so i guess i can excuse his behavior with these tweets but guess what happened after he sent these tweets i'll bet you dollars to donuts the phone rang the commissioner both selig and manford do not like when teams do not play well in the sandbox publicly he knows there is competition between teams he actually i would argue encourages it But that said, when it becomes public, baseball is like a family who doesn't want you to know that they ever fight. Have you ever been around a family like that? Where you think they have the perfect 2.4 kids and the parents who are still married and they all get along and everyone seems happy. They're all together all the time. And then you realize that they're totally miserable but they need to keep up appearances because for whatever reason, they think that you're judging them and they want you to judge them as being good for whatever that is, whatever that means that's how the commissioner is with other teams we want all the fans to believe that there is love in the air but then he calls up the A's and he calls up John Fisher the owner and says listen you got to get Dave off Twitter you can't have him tweeting that about the Giants you just can't do it I'm not finding you I'm not warning you it's no issue but get him off the Twitter how will it end with the Oakland A's the exact same way I told you it would end with the Oakland A's. They're not moving to Vegas. They will get a deal done in Oakland. There'll be a new stadium built there. They will sign players again. They will have more winning again. But then they're going to have losing as well. I think someone's trying to get into the studio right now, which is scary to me because I'm home alone. So I do not know what that was. Could you hear that, Coca? Like the door slammed just now? Huh. You can cut that out of the show if you want, but I'm sort of sweating at the moment. That was weird. Okay. Nothing personal pick of the day. That's two back-to-back parlays. I hope you're paying attention. We had the Bucks warriors in a line parlay last night, and it was a winner. The Bucks won, the Warriors won, and I was very pleased with the Draymond Green, very pleased with the Draymond Green quote about Nikola Jokic, who is could be the MVP over on He's that good. But the Nuggets lost four games to one. Bucks and Warriors moving on to the second round. Tonight, we've got a game six with the Devin Booker-less Phoenix Suns. Hey, Coca, is Booker the one dating a Kardashian? Is that possible? Yes. And he's still got a good career. He's dating Kendall. That's not a Kardashian. Isn't that a Jenner? Or are they all the same? I think that's like the half-sibling or step-sibling. Is she the billionaire uh, makeup person? Kendall, is that the one? Oh, that's Kylie? Who can keep track of all this? Anyway, Devin Booker's not playing. He hurt his hamstring. They're saying he could come back. The Suns are giving one and a half points to the Zion williamson list Pelicans. There will not be a game seven. So get ready. Suns minus one and a half over the Pelicans. That is our pick. We are 52 and 41. We are rolling. All right, did you read what happened at uh, Comic-Con yesterday? So there's a place where... Movies go and directors and writers and they go and they show their movies or previews of their movies or trailers of their movies and they're trying to sell. Film festivals are really for selling your movies. They're for getting distribution. They're for raising money. Investing in movies is generally a bad idea because the overwhelming majority lose money. It's like Broadway shows. You do it because you want good tickets but the the shows that make money are really few and far between. Olivia Wilde who, from Love the Coopers which I love that movie, Drinking Buddies. She's, she's phenomenal. You also may know her as the partner of Ted Lasso. You also may know her as the current partner of Harry Styles. So the background of this story is that Olivia Wilde and Jason Sudeikis had two kids, never were married, but who cares? They were partners. They were raising their two kids, we were eight and five. And then she said, hey, I love you, Ted, but guess what? I got a really young boy toy here who's all into me and he's a boy band pop star and I'm really into him because it makes me feel like I'm not old and I like sort of the whole mother child mother something I'm in I'm leaving you Jason Sudeikis was sad and now they're getting into fights apparently about custody of their children a little quick word of advice for those of you who are going to get divorced Do not put your kids in the middle of the divorce. Do not talk badly about your spouse or ex-spouse to your kids. They will remember and it will not accrue to your benefit. Trust me, as good as it may feel to MF your ex to your kids, your kids are gonna wake up one day and say, well, that wasn't very nice. So Sudeikis and Olivia Wilde are trying to figure out custody of the kids and who's doing what, and they apparently were unable to solve it amicably, so there's a lawsuit involved. It's a custody lawsuit over the kids. Which brings me to Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie fighting for nine years, and then Johnny Depp and Amber Heard in court for two weeks doing defamations against each other. Do people not realize that you're all running out of time Everyone is dying and no one is acting accordingly, as Jack Nicholson would say in The Departed. What an unbelievable waste of the one commodity that you should never waste because you're never getting it back. Anyway, so Ted Lassen and Olivia Wilder fighting. When you have a lawsuit, there is something called notice. You have to, how else do you know you're being sued, right? You have to serve the person you are involved that you are suing you have to serve them with the lawsuit you've seen that you've seen it on tv right you've been served there are rules Seth Rogen in Pineapple Express was a process server. Seth Rogen sits in a car, gets totally baked. I don't mean half-baked. Totally baked with Pineapple Express. Then he goes to hang out with James Franco. Then he goes to hang out with that little high school girl who was the actress in Pineapple Express who played the high school girl who was his girlfriend that was totally creepy and would not really fly today because she was totally underage. Anyway, I don't remember who it was. I want to say Emma Stone, but that's super bad. So I don't think it's Emma Stone. But it's not. But either way. So... In Pineapple Express, his job is a service processor, which means his job is to find people who don't want to be found and give them documents. It was not Amber Heard. No way. (laughs) There's no way Amber Heard was in Pineapple Express playing the high school girl, girlfriend of Seth Rogen. Is that really true? That is insane. Oh, my God, I love the universe. I totally do, because I didn't know that, even though I love that movie, and we were just telling Amber Heard. God, isn't that weird when that happens? Anyway, so Olivia Wilde has a new movie that she wrote and directed. She's presenting this movie to a bunch of people in the industry, trying to raise money for it. All of a sudden, some guy walks toward the stage and puts a manila envelope at her feet and says, you've been served. (laughs) She keeps presenting the movie. She opens the envelope to look at it and it was custody papers from Jason Lasso. So now he had to go into total damage control and Jason Sudeikis had to say yesterday, I would never, I would never have done that. I had no idea the process server was going to do that. If I had known that I would have said, don't ever interrupt her in her work. That's so terrible newsflash everybody when you hire a process server the process server is communicating to you exactly where they're going to serve the process because if they have to go to a place in public it's because they can't find the person and the person is avoiding them you think the process server wanted to sneak into comic-con or whatever it's called and lay it at olivia wilde's feet they wanted to get it done a week earlier and drop it at her door and her listed address. But she's always on tour with Harry Styles, I guess, or on movie sets or wherever she is. And so when you are in public and you let it be known where you are going to be, guess what? You are at, at risk of process serving. So I end the show with my favorite story of being served, which is when I was president of the Marlins and I was sitting in the office in the new ballpark In my office, I was in Mike Hill's office. It was 2012, I think. So I could have been with Larry. And I get a call from the front desk. Her name is Kathy. Miss you, Kathy. Please take care of yourself. Hey, I've got someone here for you. It's a season ticket holder who would like to talk to you. And I said, well, it's been a tough year. All right, fine. So go out there and I get an envelope handed to me. And this was a lawsuit related to someone else's divorce. Totally crazy story, but I was some sort of witness in another couple's divorce. Not that I was involved in the marriage, I was not with the husband or the wife at all, but there was some thought that in some way I had done something that would have led to the end of that marriage, which of course I hadn't personally or cause someone else to do something personally they actually thought that I was arranging affairs for this couple which is not true at all I don't know why that's in my head it's been 10 years so anyway so I get served and I'm so angry because if I hadn't walked out to reception they wouldn't have been able to just leave it at the door they wouldn't have gotten back to where my office is now they could have come to me at a game but they'd have to buy a ticket And that's all this guy did. He got a badge, he went to Comic-Con, he was in the audience, and he said, guess what, I got a job to do. Olivia, you've been served. Then he goes back to his office, he gets paid, and he says, Ted, you knew all along we were doing it this way. It's just business. This is nothing personal.